And uh, we want to be a church that's life-giving. So today, I, I promise, as you leave today, you're going to be challenged with something that's better than politics. All right? Is that good news for you? Anybody? Anybody excited about that? Everybody should be excited because, uh, you know, the nation's pretty split on, on, on the feelings and the emotions. And, and it's, it's real. I, I get it. There's a lot of unknowns that are there. Um, so as a church, as, as a Christ follower, my heart goes for those that have insecurities and fears right now. And they don't know what's going to take place. We want to love them. Uh, we want to be able to be pray and encourage and help. And we're, we're just praying and trusting God's going to lead us to this time um, as a nation. And we just, uh, we're, we're glad you're here. And, and as a church, we want to be able to um, just be able to help people as they go through anything. So if, you, if you're feeling um, any kind of emotion that's overwhelming you, please reach out. Uh, don't just hold on to that. And don't just, just hold on to it where it makes you sick, makes you angry, makes you frustrated. It's good to let it out. It's good to talk um, and to, to be able to express what you're feeling and, and, and going through. So um, just make sure you, you process in a healthy way, all right? no matter what you're processing. Uh, it's, it's really disappointing for me to see uh, both sides of the aisle uh, be able to use this time as, as, as an opportunity to divide even more. Um, and we don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be that kind of people. But to say, how can we unite? How can we love others that feel differently than us, uh, that don't, don't agree with whatever took place, uh, whether they agree with you or not? Uh, it's our, our job to say, how can we bridge this? How can we love others? So we're, um, yeah, so we, hopefully today you'll be able to walk out knowing that God has something for you specifically, especially in this season as we go through this time. Um, we pray, we've been praying a lot, and a lot of people in the nation are praying. And God, God's, he's still on the throne and we said that last week, no matter what happens, God is still God, and we can trust him to lead us and guide us, um, and, and he has something better. We're, we're actually in a series that's called Better Than That. I think it's very appropriate for, for this season that we're going through, and we kicked it off last week. But before we jump into that, I just want to say hello to all those listening on to, uh, iTunes or uh, Google Play, wherever they're listening for podcasts. Thank you for listening. And to those who are watching on Facebook Live, thank you for, for watching. Uh, and then if everybody else coming here today, thanks for coming. We're in the series called Better Than That. Last week, the idea was that, that whatever dream you have for your life, God, we can say God has a dream that's better than that dream. He has better than whatever you can you come up with. Today we're going to take the next aspect of that, saying God has better plans for your life to accomplish something specifically that only you can accomplish. Let's review before we jump into today's uh, mess part. Uh, last week we said that, and this is very appropriate for what happened this last week. We said circumstances, they don't create the condition of your heart. Circumstances, they reveal the condition of your heart. So we find ourselves in, the, in, in a condition, in a circumstance, this, not condition, in a circumstance this week. Uh, many people don't like it. Some do. Some feel either a war. It doesn't matter. They're just whatever. It's just there. Um, but when we find ourselves in specific circumstances and conditions, um, it, doesn't re- it doesn't create something new in us. It's like all of a sudden now like we're angry people because of this. No, the anger's always been there. This is just revealing it. Or, or the, the haughtiness. It wasn't just showed up all of a sudden. That's always been there. And now that we face these circumstances, it reveals what's there. And which I say, it's very, it's very important that we um, pay attention to those feelings because they're revealing the condition of our heart in the middle of all this. Uh, we said during this, even leading up to the season, let's put people before politics. Uh, let's not give away influence unnecessarily by, by letting the, our emotions get the best of us. But let's, let's make sure we, we represent well. Uh, we said last week about voting, but it's bigger than just voting. We said make sure you use the right filters in life when you're making decisions. And we said that the, the most uh, basic decision was the personal decision, which a lot of people make. You even hear it through the election is, well, okay, at least it's only four years. That, that, that shows that it's a personal decision that you made that's just only impacting you. All right? We said that's the first filter. The next filter is think about others. Think three. Three generations. How is this decision going to my, uh, impact my kids and impact my grandkids? When you make decisions at that level, you make a lot more wiser decisions. 
But we said the most important uh, filter is the third filter, is say, is, which is the God filter, the kingdom of God is saying, how does this apply for me as, as a Christ follower? And if you're not a Christ follower, at the end of service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to become one. Uh, but for those that are Christ followers, that are following God's path and his way, how, how, how does well, this filter is the most important? It's, it's the one that I use most often. Now, hopefully I use most often. Thank God I want you to lead me. And we think beyond just four years. We think beyond just one generation, two generations, three generations. We're actually thinking beyond into eternity because life is not the end of the story. What we do on earth is just a part of it. It's just the beginning. There's more to it. And we're saying, God, help us to make decisions that will impact people's eternity, impact our uh, future, and many generations to come. That's the best filter we can use in life, not just for elections, but in general when you make decisions that comes. And then we said when it comes to politics, you know, a big part of that is legislation. Uh, you cannot, you cannot um, create more laws and, and uh, structure to be able to change people to, into good people. It's not just possible. Just because you make a law, does it all of a sudden turn somebody that's evil into somebody that's good? Uh, only God can do that, and, and, and he does it by changing our hearts. And as a church, this should be our focus. As we reach and help others, uh, we're, we're helping move forward. Essentially, we said like this. We cannot stop sin without winning the lost. If we want to change things around us, we have to introduce them to Christ because God will change things um, in, in, a, in an incredible way. Uh, for my family, when my family found Christ, I'm telling you, we are different people because of Christ and what he's in our lives. Different. Like tra- trajectory of the road, the walk, the path we're going, leading to death, all of a sudden it became very life-giving. And I grew up in a home way different than if I grew up in a home that, that wasn't Christians and Christ followers. So God wants to impact people around us like that if we'll just be open to it. So we jump into today's story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through a story in the Bible uh, about a man, a leader. His name is Nehemiah. One of my favorite leaders in the Bible, one of my favorite stories. In fact, when we started the Grove, this is the story that inspired a lot of what we've, we've done um, and even encouraged me to say, make sure you, you do something that's going to count, not just for now, for your life, but for your kids' lives, for your grandkids, and even into eternity. And so this story about Nehemiah, it's a very interesting story. Nehemiah is a captive in another nation. Uh, God allowed the, the, the other nations to come and take them into captivity. And in the process, Nehemiah eventually got in a place of influence in the kingdom. So he was the cupbearer for the king, which means he was, he was next to the king. It's an important position. And, and he, he was the cupbearer that, that um, was those next to the king and, and just had influence. Well, in the, in the book of Nehemiah, it starts off the story, kind of explaining you know, who Nehemiah was and, and, um, and, and what was taking place in, in his nation back home in, in Jerusalem. And it starts off like this. And I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going to start off in, in chapter 1, verse 3. Um, it says that when, when, when Nehemiah was, it says that some of, the, some of his brothers came to visit who had arrived just from, from Judah, from Jerusalem. They just come back from his home, hometown, from his home country. And, and he asked the, the, Jew, the Jews about that. It says, what, how is, what's the condition of our home, our homeland, our, our city? And this is what they said to him. Okay? Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So he, he heard the news that the city was not in good shape. The walls were broken down, the gates were burned. For us, in a city, we don't have walls around our cities. That doesn't make, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But in this day and age, if you didn't have a, a wall around your city, any of your enemies, any of your neighbors that wanted to come in and take your sheep at night, come in and, and take your kids into slavery, there was no way to really protect yourself. There was a lot of insecurity. The, the, the state they found themselves was not good. In fact, he said they were in great trouble and disgrace. Not just that, they, they proclaimed that they were the people of God. 
and, and their walls are broken down. Can you imagine the, the, the surrounding nations and countries and, or um, villages and people, how they mocked the people of, of Jerusalem? Like, oh, yeah, your God is so big, right? Look at your city. You can't even protect yourself. You know, it's not I'm going to come and I'm going to take your, your livestock. I'm going to come and take your possessions, whatever. Imagine living in that, that state of insecurity. I don't think it's very hard. I think in our nation, if we look at even the, the circumstances we find ourselves in, a lot of people live in this state all the time. You know why they're fearful? Because they, there's, their walls of security have broken down. They don't know what's going to take place. They don't know what's going to happen. Some of that's um, because of the choices we've made. Some of that because of other things that have taken place. Some of that is because of just hatred that's in our nation and racism, things like that. People find themselves in these situations all the time. But Nehemiah, he, he sat down, and it says he went without food. He fasted. He was so distraught. He said, this is not right. Like, this, is not, this is not good. And he mourned, and he cried, and he prayed. And what I love about Nehemiah is as soon as this, this verse is done, it says he begins to pray to God. And in his prayer, the thing you fail to see is this. Well, God, those people messed up this for us. That side of the, the aisle, was, it was their fault. It was these people. It was them. He didn't point fingers at anybody. You know what he said? God, forgive us. Like, this is not good. Our, your, your city is in ruins, and it's not, it's not in a good shape. Forgive me. And his prayer is about him. It's about, it's about a community. It's about uh, others that, that are making a difference. It's not pointing the fingers. So the first thing I want to point about Nehemiah in the story is this. It starts at home. All right? When we find ourselves in, in a situa- situations we don't like, it has to start with you and, and your response. You have to take responsibility for your part. You might say, well, I don't only really have a part to play in this. No, but your part could be how you respond to others. It could. Are you going to get a um, um, gasoline and throw gasoline on the fire to fuel it even more? Or are you going to have a bucket of water that you can maybe douse out some of the fires? Or better yet, maybe carry around a Coca-Cola and say, hey, here, here's a Coke. Enjoy life, right? <laughs> yeah. We, we, there's all kinds of options we have. We have a responsibility to do something now, no matter what you feel about whatever your circumstances you find ourselves. And just so you know, this message is not... So much political when I was planning it. I had, I had no idea like what, where we'd be at this, this point. I had a feeling. It's really for us as a church to say, imagine if we all band together to accomplish something. It would be amazing in Santa Fe. That was really my intention. We're going to use some of what's going on in our nation because I think it applies. But don't miss the bigger, the bigger message. It's not politics. It is what does God want you to do here now, tomorrow, and Tuesday and Wednesday? Like he's calling you to do something specifically. Not just with politics and what's going on, but something even better than that. So Nehemiah heard about it, he heard about the situation, he sat down, he wept, and then he repented and said, God, forgive me, help me to know what to do. And then for months, he began to pray and ask, like, like think, like, what is my role in this? What am I supposed to do? And eventually, the king notices that he's distraught and says, what's going on, Nehemiah? You're always, you know, you're, you're, this is different. You're not usually so downcast. What's going on? And he tells the king, well, I, I can't be happy because my, my city, my home is broken down and it's, 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 in, it's vulnerable. And, and that just bothers me. And so the king actually gives him, he, God gives favor with the king. The king actually sends him with resources and just blesses Nehemiah to go back to the city. He goes back to the city. He walks around and begins to look at you know, the, 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 how the situation is. And then he calls all the leaders together. And this will pick up in chapter 2, Nehemiah 2. He calls the leaders together and he says this. But now I said to them, you know very well the trouble we're in. All right? You recognize the, the state we're in. This is not very good. Jerusalem, it lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. So our, our pe- people can stop mocking us and, and, and getting in. And then, then he told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on him and, and about his conversation with the king. And they, this is what the people replied, the leaders, right? They said, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they begin to do the good work. They begin to do the good work. They begin to fix what was broken. 
Another part of Nehemiah's story is this. We have to figure out what our role is. You have to figure out what your role is. You have to find a need and meet it. Find a need that you can meet. Um, ministry, we talk about ministry, maybe we never heard that word before. We use it in church a lot. Ministry just means that you find something that's not, that, 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 a need that, that's there, and you just feel the need. You serve something. That's ministry. It's, it's helping somebody else. Um, in this case, Nehemiah had a vision for something better than what was going on. So the walls are broken down. They were in disgrace. He saw something that, that wasn't right. A lot of times in our world, when you see something you don't like, that's, that's an indication that maybe you're supposed to do something about that. A vision always starts with a concern. There's something that concerns you about our world, people that are dying across the world that, of something we can, we can give them, like clean water. Does that bother you? Maybe you should be, do something about clean water. Maybe it bothers you that kids die every day from, from something we can provide, food. Maybe that bothers you. Well, when, when there's a concern that you have, a lot of times that, that, that's an indication that maybe you're supposed to do something about that need. Vision always starts out as a concern. For me, in the Grove, I had a concern for Santa Fe. There was tons of people that don't go to church, unchurched, people that don't know. And I, I get it. There's, there's, sometimes there's baggage that comes with church. But I think what it is is people, they, turn, they, they don't go to church because they think something about the church, but they fail to see what church is about, which is the rabbi, which is the Messiah, Jesus, who is brilliant. Like Jesus, he, he's amazing. He told his disciples what was going to happen, and then it happened exactly like what it was going to happen. And then he came back and showed them that he was still alive and he was still God. And there's all these witnesses that saw it. It's, it's amazing. The story is so amazing. And in that, Jesus is saying, I have something better for you. And it's not just gathering in a building. I mean, that's important. It's something more than that. It's, it's going to impact your life for good. And he invites us into that. It's, so uh, Nehemiah says this, you got to do something. God said, you got to do something about this, Eric. Your home city. There are so many unchurched people. Half of our, 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 our city would say that they're, they, don't, they don't believe in anything. Like they don't adhere to anything. They're not, they're not Catholic. They're not Christian. They're not uh, Mormon. They're not Buddhist, whatever. Half of our city would say, we don't affiliate with anything. Um, maybe, I think it's they don't know. I, when, I, when I read the story of Jesus, I think this is so amazing. Why would you not want to follow this guy? Like his teachings about love and goodness and kindness. Uh, he, he wasn't just a pushover. He was somebody that wanted to make something different. And he says, now come and follow me. I have a better way for you. Like the original way, I want you to live. I'm going to lead you in that if you'll just follow me. So we had to do something about it. So his next point is this. Do something. Action is required. So the people, once, they, once Nehemiah got the vision and said, let's do something, they didn't just sit around on their hands and say, well, maybe one day. You know, we'll wait for four years and then we'll do our part. They didn't do that. They, they said, we got to act. We got to do something now. We got to find a need that we can meet. Action is required. There's a story that took place in 1964 in New York. A man attacks a woman brutally. He stabs her. He attacks her. He rapes her, right? In this altercation, 37 people witnessed this, all right? Not the whole thing, but they witnessed some, maybe the beginning part where the man is starting to hit her and, and, and attack. 37 people witnessed this, and nobody does anything. 37 people witness a woman be attacked by a man, and nobody does anything. Eventually, somebody in the upper floor realizes there's noise out there, opens the windows and yells out something like, leave her alone, um, which scares the guy enough to leave for a few minutes, change his clothes, come back, take her into the, the bag, the alley, whatever, and continue to assault her. Eventually, um, I, I think eventually somebody finds her, they call the, the cops, and she died, but she dies. It was, it was too late. She had too much, too much things that happened to her that, that it ended up killing her. But the sad thing is this. A man attacks a woman, 37 people witness it, nobody does anything. Psychologists call it the bystander effect. 37 people saw it, and they saw other people who saw it, and everybody saw, thought, most likely thought the same thing. This is not good. I don't like this, this situation. 
but surely somebody's going to do something about this. Like, I'm kind of busy. I really don't have time. I really don't want to get involved. You know, I might, might have to go to court. Might, you know, that guy might hurt me. I, I really don't can do anything. And because everybody thought somebody else was going to take care of it, nobody did anything. I think the bystander effect, the bystander, bystander effect happens to us a lot in our nation, in our country, in our, in, in, in our city. Why? Because we all see things that aren't good or aren't right. But we think, well, surely somebody's going to take care of that. I'm sure somebody else will take care of that. Maybe you're the person that's supposed to. Maybe I'm the person that's supposed to. We can't just be bystanders. We have to be people that do something because action is required. There's a famous quote that says this. that says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Evil wins when everybody sits in their hands and just waits for the next four years to finish or the next whatever to, to, to come or go. The next person get in, into the leadership, whatever, in your workplace, to the next boss, to your next whatever. You fill in the gap. Just they wait. And when we wait and sit in our hands and don't do anything, evil just continues to move forward. Somebody has to step up and say that's not right. Kids shouldn't be dying of something we can give them like clean water. And there is. There's a lot of organizations that are helping that. A lot of organizations are feeding people. We need to get involved and help them. One of the things, the, the, my favorite post this week that I saw uh, was a young lady in our church. So proud of her. It's awesome. Uh, she said, I just got tired of hearing all the negative stuff on the media, on the social media and on the news and all that's going on. I decided I had to do something different to make a difference. So you know what she did? She got online and, and, and sponsored a kid from China. And she put a picture of her kid and said, this is my kid that I'm now going to sponsor. I'm no longer going to sit and just be angry at the world. I'm going to do some, some good out of it. That's awesome, right? We can give that and give her a hand. So cool. You have to do something. Inaction is still a choice. When you decide not to do anything in life, it's, you're still making a choice not to do anything. To improve something, you're making a choice not to improve something. Mother Teresa, we, we read this quote last week for the company, the, the organization that we're sponsoring this, this month, Feed One. They got their name from her quote. It says this, if you can't feed 100, just feed one. If you can't take care of 10 people, just, just take care of one. You know, if, you can't, if, if we look at the, the need in front of us, just, just pick hunger. You know, not a single one of us could, could solve that issue in our world. We can't. But can you, can you feed one kid? Probably. In fact, feed one, I think it costs $11 a month to, to sponsor a kid to, feed, to get them food and some education. $11 a month to feed a kid in Haiti. That is not a lot. That's a couple of, um, what, grande um, lattes, right? It's a couple of, yeah. What, what, what kind do you like? The cappuccino? You like the, <laughs> drew a blank here. Uh, the, the pumpkin spice latte, right? Man, we can give up a couple of pumpkin-sized lattes to feed a kid in Haiti, right? All right, it's it just, you, we can do something if we stop. I think we look at the big picture and we think I can't do anything about that. You can't. So then we decide not to do anything. That's not the answer. What's the little chunk in that big picture that maybe you can solve? And if we all begin to say, hey, you do your part, I do my part. In this room alone, you imagine how, many good, how much good we can do if we all said, let's do our part. Let's, let's do something. In, in the story of Nehemiah, we'll continue on this. Um, one of the things I want you to recognize is it takes a team to accomplish anything that's worth accomplishing. It takes a lot of people pulling together to accomplish something that, that, that not a single person can do by themselves. Our church is a, is, a, is, a, is a testimony to this. What we do on a Sunday morning, it's not because of me. Guarantee that. It's a team that comes, that shows up, that is faithful, of amazing people who are, who are doing ministry for kids next door in, in, our, in our Sprouts and in our G-Kids. Why? It's a team saying, let's, let's do our part. Let's all come together to be able to help develop the next generation, to help people that, that are looking for, um, for answers. 
in the story of Nehemiah chapter 3, if you read it, you begin to see name and families that are listed saying, this family took care of this part of the city, and this family rebuilt the wall in this location, and name after name after name after name. If you look through the Bible, a lot of times you'll get to a chapter in the Bible which just has a name after name after name. Have you ever read that part? And you're like, oh my goodness, why am I reading this name after name? And this guy's son was this person, and then his son was this person, his, his neighbor was this person, and you know, his grandfather was this. And you see all these names, you're thinking, oh man, there's so many names. This is this really important? Um, well, how, be, how, be, how, about, how, would, how about you? If that was your name, would it be important? Yeah, my name's in the Bible. That's awesome. I think the big picture is this. God is saying, I'm going to put all these names in the Bible because I want people to realize that the individual matters to God. You matter to God. Like in the story that's being written, your, na- your name is somewhere in that. And this guy, he went out and he, or, or this lady in our church, she went out and sponsored a kid from China. And his, he became the next person, I don't know, doctor that discovered something. Pretty cool, right? I don't know what will take place. But there's potential there. Or this person just sat on his hands or her hands because they're waiting for the next cycle or the next thing to come through. And they just waited. What's your story going to, what, what is your part in the story? Um, name after name after name. And then in Nehemiah, the other part is this. Um, don't stop. There's a point in, in this story where the people are getting discouraged. Um, because the enemies around were coming and attacking and saying things about the leaders, were saying things about the people that are going to come and attack them at night and kill them. And, and they were threatening all these things because they didn't want the people to continue to, pro- to make progress. The interesting thing about this in the story is when the, when, the, when the enemy made the most noise, it says that the wall was already halfway built. So like the people, the enemies that didn't want the walls to be built, they were like, oh no, they're making progress. And so they began to make even more noise, which was beginning to discourage the people of, of Jerusalem to build the wall. And at one point, the enemy even tries to, to sabotage and to, to take Nehemiah and kill him. And they say, Nehemiah, come meet with us. We want to talk about, you know, peace trees. We want to talk about these things. And Nehemiah's response was this. No, I can't come down. For what I'm doing is I'm doing, I'm doing a good work. I can't stop because this is more important than whatever you want, whatever distractions come my way. He was so focused. He said, we can't get distracted with that because this is right in front of me and he said that he continued he didn't stop because when, when we stop um we, we don't ever accomplish anything we, we don't finish because anything that's worth having it requires diligence some of you are doing a good work it's called parenting don't get distracted and say this is not important that's one of the most important things you can do in your workplace you're, there's things that you're doing that are that are making a difference don't get distracted with all these other things and a lot of times they're not bad things you know, making more money, buying more things, those aren't necessarily bad things, but we exchange those for what's better sometimes is the impact of people around us, building relationships with others. Uh, Jesus, he, he said that, the, that we have an enemy, just like Nehemiah did, and the enemy is, wasn't necessarily a person. In his story, it was people, and in our world, sometimes it is people, but, but it's beyond that. It, it's an enemy. His name is Satan, and, and this is what Jesus said about the enemy. He says in John 10.10 10, that our enemy, the thief, he comes only to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come to give life and life to the full. I've come to give you better life. I, like, my life that I have for you is better than that. It's better than making the money. It's better than having all the things. It's better than that. Follow me in this. But he says, we do have an enemy and he, and he hates and he, he wants to destroy. He wants to bring destruction. That's, that's, his, that's his job. That's what he wants to accomplish. Some of the names the Bible gives the enemy, one of them, it says that he's, he's like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Like he's prowling around looking for somebody that's weak, looking at somebody that's ready to give in to some, some temptation. He's like a lion. He's not a lion. He's just like it. He makes a lot of noise, make you think that he's stronger than he is, make, him, make you think that he's bigger than he is because he's looking for somebody to devour. He wants to come in and destroy. But he's just 
I think um, when I think of uh, like a lion, I kind of think of um, like a Doberman picture, but then you open the door and it's just a chihuahua, right? That's kind of the picture there. You know, the, 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 the chihuahua can still do damage. Don't get me wrong. It can bite your ankle. It can break some skin and it can hurt you, but it's still just a chihuahua. Essentially, the enemy wants us to think that he has more strength than he does and he's more powerful than he is. But the fact that you're still alive today means that he doesn't have that power over your life. Because if he did have as much power as we think he did, you'd be dead and I'd be dead. Yeah, that's good news. He's like a lion. So don't let him intim- his intimidation stop you from becoming who you're supposed to become. God has better plans than that for your life. It also said he's the, another name it gives the enemy is he's the father of lies. So the father of lies means he's always spewing lies out to us. He's always saying things to you. You probably experienced this before, you know. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some um, examples in a second. Uh, in the Bible, the enemy is always trying to invite relationship. And the way he does this is through questions. All right, with Adam and Eve, he invites, a, he invites relationship because questions invite relationship. I don't know about you, but I don't ask people questions that I really don't want to talk with. Like if somebody I don't want to be with because I don't want a relationship. I'm not going to ask him more to keep going because then you get stuck. So questions invite relationship. Um, he makes a statement to Adam and Eve. He says, did God really say that you can't eat of the, of the trees in the garden? He makes a statement. Remember, he's the father of lies. And so he's always telling lies. I used to think, well, if he's a liar, that, that's so hard. How are you going to know the truth? Because he's always lying. But then I realized when somebody's always telling a lie, it's pretty easy to know what the truth is, right? What's the truth? The opposite of what he just said, right? It's like the kid that comes in after breaking the lamp and says, I didn't break it. You're like, what do you mean you didn't break, you didn't break what? The lamp. How do you know the lamp's broken? I didn't know the lamp was broken. You know, the truth is in the lie. Maybe the kid didn't break the lamp. But if you get my point, the truth is in the lie. When he says the lie. So in this, he's saying, did God really say? What's the truth? The truth is, God really said this, but I'm going to try to deceive you and to trick you into thinking something so you can make a bad decision. Did God really say this? Yes, God really said this. Another point, he says, you won't surely die. Like, you're not going to die. That's not a loving God. You know, the, the point, the reason God doesn't want you to eat the fruit is because you'll become like him. It's not because you're going to die, but you're going to become wise. But he's the father of lies. What's the truth? You will surely die. When he tempts you with something, it's really not that big of a deal. Just look, just, just take it, just have it. That's the lie. What's the truth? It's a really big deal. What you're about to do is going to cause a lot of damage in your life. Pay attention. It's not that big of a deal. Just do it. He's saying this. It's not, but, but really the truth is you really are going to die, Adam and Eve. You're going to invite something into the world that you wish you never would invite into your life. When you choose what the enemy offers you, you're always inviting something that you wish you never would invite into your life. Because he always promises something he can't deliver. And his temptation is always something that he can't deliver. If we go into the New Testament, story of Jesus, Jesus is about to start his ministry. He's fasted for 40 days, all right? He's hungry. The enemy shows up when he's weak, which gives us a good indication how the enemy works. He's looking for when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're weak. And that's when he comes in and tries to bring his, his strongest attacks. Why? Because you're vulnerable. He's always looking for, for somebody that, like a lion, looking for somebody to devour. He's looking for you when you're at a moment of weakness, which should tell us whenever you're in those situations, make sure you don't just blast on social media something or, or make a decision that's going to impact others. Think about it. Calm down. He says this to Jesus. He's hungry, right? He says, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Come on, prove it to us. Pro- prove, it to, prove it to me. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't answer his question. He just makes a statement. He says, no, the Bible says that God, we live on, on the bread that God gives us, not on, not on this. And he makes a statement knowing what the truth is. He counters the lie with a truth statement. All right? If you are the son of God, which if that's the lie, 
what is the enemy really trying to say to Jesus? You are the son of God, but if, but if I can get you to question that and get you to doubt that, man, then I can maybe lead you in a different direction. If I can get you to doubt who you really are, then I can get you to do something different. And then he takes him to those places as if, if, if you bow down on a pinnacle, he says, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus, I'll give you all of this that you see. Like, I'll just give it to you. It's yours to rule. It's yours to have. But if he's the father of lies, when he says, I'll give you all this, what's the truth? Not. You're not going to get this. As soon as you bow down to me, I am now God. I am now in charge. And he does this to us all the time. If you will just submit and you'll give in, if you'll do this, I'll give you all this good stuff. And we submit, we give in to temptation. And what's the truth? Actually, now we're a slave to him. He's now our master. And we're stuck in these things that we wish we never would have been stuck in. How does this apply to you? It applies like this. The enemy is always saying stuff to you. You're not good enough. If he's a liar, what is he telling you? There's something in you that if you would wake up to the potential and realize it, you can do a lot of good in this world. You're not smart enough. Yeah, we could celebrate that. You're not smart enough. You, 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 you don't have what it takes. If that's a lie, what's the truth? Man, if you would wake up to what's in you, you'd be able to accomplish something that nobody else can accomplish. You, you can't overcome that. You're too weak. You'll, you'll never be able to conquer that. If that's the lie, what is he saying? There's something in you, if you pay attention, you could overcome these things. In fact, Paul tells us we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Like, pay attention. You could do more than you ever thought. But the enemy, he comes in like a flood and says, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. This week, he's going to tell you over and over, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're incapable. You never overcome those things. Pay attention. The truth is in the lie. What is he saying? Man, I don't want you to wake up to this. I want to keep you bound. I want to keep you stuck. I don't want you to have the life that God wants you to have. I offer you this thing that might feel good. It might temporarily solve something. But God says, I have something better than that for you. I have something better than that for you. There's a, story, there's a, a verse in Ezekiel, a prophet in the Old Testament. And he says this. He says, I was looking for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. Ezekiel 22:30. I looked for somebody who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So before God brings in destruction, he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to save this, these people from, from greater consequences. I'm looking for somebody, but I found no one. Can I tell you, God is still looking for people to rebuild broken walls, broken lives in, in our world. He's looking for people to stand in the gap, like where there's a gap, where their wall's been broken down, and there's vulnerability, and there's hurt, and there's fear. He's saying, can we find somebody that will rise above the noise and the rhetoric and just say, can I help you? Can I serve you? Can I do good in this place? Can you imagine just in this room, if we all would say, I'll be that person. I'll find a gap in our city that needs help. So we look at the big need. We say, we can't solve public school issues and problems. No, but I bet you can mentor and read to one kid. I bet you can help one of them with math. You're good at math, right? What's that one thing you can do? You know, we can't feed the whole city that are, that, are, that are hurting or whatever, but what's that, who's that one person that you could reach out to? What's that neighbor? Maybe, maybe a neighbor that doesn't have a, there's not a father in the house, and these kids don't have a father. Maybe you can stand in the gap there and say, can I, can I help serve the need that's here? Can I do something about this? God is still looking for somebody to say, I'll stand in the gap. Last week I told a story. I'll tell it one more time. I, maybe every week I'll tell this story of a rabbi walking home. As he's walking home, um, he's praying, he's, he's, in, he's engaged in prayer. Uh, he comes to a fork in the road, 
And as this, as this teacher is going home and walking, he's, he, he takes the wrong turn. And he goes to the right and to the left. And as he's walking for a while, he begins to realize, like, I think I took the wrong turn somewhere. He's thinking about that. He comes to this big wooden gate. And, from, and, and the wooden gate, from above the wooden gate, comes a, a, a voice that says, who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi, as he's standing there, he thinks that's a really good question. Who am I? What am I doing here? He doesn't answer it because he's deep in thought, thinking about, you know, what, what question am I going to ask him back? So the voice comes again. Who are you and what are you doing here? A little more authority. And the rabbi responds, how much do they pay you to ask that question? The Roman centurion, who gets really upset at this point, says, two denarii a week, Jew, Why? And the rabbi says, I'll pay you double if you'll come to my house every morning and ask me those two questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? The rabbi saw the importance of these questions that were asked from from this Roman centurion. Who are you? What are you doing here? It's the two questions that we tend to forget on a daily basis. Well, who am I? What am I doing here? When we can answer that from God's perspective, we we make really good choices and we make a really big impact with our life. Who are you and what are you doing here? The enemy comes. Who are you, Eric? What are you doing here? Well, um, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a Christ follower, so I'm following Christ, and he's asked me to do good in this world. So all my decisions today should be reflective of my Father in heaven, and um, the, the choice I make and the actions I do should reflect the things he's called me to. But sometimes I wake up and I say, who are you? What are you doing here? Well, I'm Eric, and I'm an American, and I'm whatever it is. Not that American's bad. Remember, my name's in America last week, right? Not that that's bad, but, but if I filter that first filter, just it's me, well, I'm going to eat some food and I'm going to try to, you know, gain some money and whatever to buy something nice. It's not that's bad, but those distractions could pull me away from the real purpose of why I'm here. And my life can go a whole different direction and I can search for all these things that might be okay, but then the day won't really matter at, 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 the, at the end. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Is it just about you? If life is just about you, you're going to wake up and realize, I really didn't accomplish all that much this, with my life. Who are you? What are you doing here? Great questions we need to ask. So here's my challenge for today's message. All right, God has better, something better for you. The challenge is to do something because action is required. This week, just do something. Look for a need and fill it. Say something kind to somebody that's, that says something mean to you. Say something kind to somebody that's hurting. Bring some comfort. Bring something. Just do something this week. And I promise if you look for those needs that you can fill and do good, like this young lady in our church that did good, we'll make a bigger difference in our world than we ever thought possible. Just do something because action is is required. It's better than that. Um, God's God's plans for our life, the action, the things you you accomplish in your life, whatever you think you can accomplish, God says it's better than that. You could do even more. Um, For for my life, I'm I'm looking forward to the day that that, that I'm standing in, in heaven with God. And all these people I begin to, that I never met come and say, you know, uh, we're so thankful for, for you in the Grove. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, we, we, heard, we heard a message. We heard something that happened. My family went there, and, and they, they moved this place, and they, they introduced us to Christ. And you should see what God did in our life. It's amazing. Thank you for doing what you did. Imagine how many stories are going to be in heaven for, from that when we do, do things God calls us to do. It's going to be awesome. People in heaven are going to celebrate and say, thank you, Grove, for giving. You know, we, we've sent, we've sent part of, part of um, when we receive offering at the, at the end of service, part of it helps us to continue moving to grow forward, to grow and to reach more people. But other part of it goes to other parts of the world. We, we've sent money to a, a, a mission in, um, in, in Ghana, Af- West Africa, where, where they take in, um, they, they rescue kids from slavery. 
and they, and they teach the, the single moms how to do jobs. It's amazing. Some of those people are gonna, one day going to say, thank you for, for being a part of the Grove. You made a difference in our world. We've helped start churches around our country already. We're two years in. We've already sent money to help other churches. Those people are winning people for Christ. And one day they're going to say, thank you for being a part of the Grove. You made a difference. What else do you want to be said of you in, in, in the end of your life? What impact can you make? What else does God want to accomplish in your life? God has something for you, and I guarantee it's better than whatever you're thinking. It's better than that. The action he has for you, you will accomplish more than you ever thought possible. When I considered starting a church a few years back, I never thought it would look like this. Can I tell you this is better than I thought it was going to be? It's awesome. It is. It's so good. I never thought we'd reach as many people as we already have in two years and baptize as many people as we have and be able to give so much to missions and to other churches as we have. It's awesome. There's so much in my heart that's fulfilling. It's a lot of work. It's more work than I thought it was going to be, but it's more fulfilling than I ever thought it would be. I want to end this service off with, with one scripture, and then I'm going to invite you into um, to pray with me, for some of you that, that need to. Um, I thought it would be appropriate to... And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, he says it like this. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. So be praying for others, all right? Pray this way for kings, for, for those who are in authority, so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. He gave his life to purchase freedom for you and for me. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Today you've come to church and you've heard some of this message about the gospel at just the right time. Some of you are here today and you needed to hear what you heard today because it's just the right time for you to finally get involved with what God wants you to be involved with. I love what he says. He says that, who, that, that our Savior wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. God's heart is for our city to come to know him and our world to come know him. He wants you to know him. And we're, we're going to pray in a second for our leaders and for our country. But before we do that, I want to I invite you that maybe you're, not, you're here today and you're not part of the family of God. Maybe you you've used to go to church or maybe you, you used to know God and at some point you walked away. Others of you, you've never even heard this, that God has good plans for your life. And you're just, you came looking for something. And can I tell you today, you came on a great day because God is inviting you into relationship. He's saying, I have something for you to do on this earth. Would you partner with me so we can accomplish it together? So do me a favor, close your, head, close your eyes and bow your heads today. Maybe in the, in the room. If you're here today and there's a part of you that's saying, I want to be a part of God's kingdom. I want to be part of what he's inviting me to. I want to be a part of bringing, bringing hope to the world and fixing things around me that are broken. If you're here and you have that, that desire, let me tell you, the way it starts is by you recognizing, like Nehemiah, that you're part of the problem also. You have to take responsibility for your part. The Bible says it this way, that if we ask God to forgive us of our part, our sins... He will forgive us and give us a new start. Today, some of you need a new start. And God is inviting you to be part of his family. He's inviting you to, to let you have a new start. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just In your seat, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer there. But if that's you, would you do me a favor and raise your hand? Awesome. See your hands? It's me. You're, you're essentially raising your hand saying, God, I, I want to be part of what you want to do. I want to do good in this world, but I want to be part of your family. 
Awesome. Anybody else? I see your hands. Thank you. For all you raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's an invitation of relationship with God. You recognize your need for God to lead your life. The best decision you can make in your life, I promise. When you follow his lead, he doesn't necessarily fix everything for you, but he leads you through those difficult times, knowing that there's peace and there's hope, and you can do good, and that he has good plans for your life. So for you that raise your hand, pray this prayer after me. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, you want to join us in praying and encourage them, do that with us today. If you raise your hand, just a simple prayer to God saying, God, I want relationship. Say this with me. Say, Father God, today I need your help. Forgive me of my sins. I take responsibility for my part. Thank you for dying on that cross to bring freedom to my life. Lead me and guide me. I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you're alive today. That you have good plans for my life. Help me to accomplish all those plans. Lead me this week. How many hear your voice? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.